glad to be back. I know I was gone on Wednesday. I was sick with the not Rona, because that's the number one question everybody asks these days. I think we've probably got another decade left of people asking, do you have COVID? No. Well, praise the Lord, we're back here in the Word. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> now, Paul, here in Corinth, is going to address in the church a specific issue that is happening in the church that the church wasn't dealing with. But as he does that, he's going to be showing us through the Holy Spirit about church discipline, about sanctification, about how to deal with a messy world with a bunch of messy people. And we're going to be dealing with a lot of major doctrines all at the same time, and we're going to see how they apply to us. And at the same time, we're going to call out the emperor's clothes here in the greatest nation that ever lived, that ever existed, but also showing how our culture is starting to shift. Now, if you don't know what the, the emperor or the king's new clothes is, it's, it's an old story about uh, a tailor that a king came to him and told him, I want clothing that nobody has ever seen. I want the best thing you could ever make. And, and the tailor, he kind of knew this wasn't, really this wasn't really possible. So he cons the king and brings out nothing. And he says, here it is. This is the greatest thing ever. And the king's like, wait, wait, I can't see it. He's like, what do you mean you can't see it? Only the greatest people alive can see this. And he says, oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. And so the emperor is putting on this pretend clothing, and he's thinking it's real because obviously he's got to be able to see it, right? And so the, the court comes around, and it's like, well, what, what's going on? What's go what are you doing? It's like, oh, you can't see this? Only the smartest, most intelligent people can see this. This is, oh, yes, king, oh, yeah, yeah, we can see it, we can see it. And so the king has a parade in town, and, and everybody's looking, and everyone's like, well, what's going on? Oh, yeah, but this, this is the emperor's clothes. He's going to be very upset. You know, you have to tell him. You have to tell him it's the best clothes. And the people are applauding. Wow, look at this. It's the greatest thing ever. Look at the clothes the king is wearing. And then suddenly this little kid comes in the crowd and says, the king is naked. <laughs> and everybody starts giggling. And somebody finally calls it out. Well, we have this cultural groupthink in the United States. And, and suddenly, suddenly, even Christians are starting to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe I am wrong. Maybe this is the emperor's new clothes. But we have the word of God to show us that is not the case. Now, in Corinth, in that culture, because we're going to talk later about how we've been kind of been manipulated about history and church and what is and what isn't, Aphrodite was the chief god of that culture, of that town. And that was a god of sexual pleasure, a god of promiscuity, um, you would go, and they had a huge temple there. And you remember the introduction to Corinth. We showed the old city and the old church. That was a temple to her. And they, they said that in the Greek times, there was prostitutes. That, that was part of the worship there, that you would go there and you'd do that kind of thing, and you'd leave your money there, and you'd be like, oh, I'm holy now. I'm special. I'm anointed. Well, we don't believe the same thing in our culture today, but we see the same promiscuity. We see the same values. We see the same culture that that comes from. And we need to re remind ourselves this because when we're going to talk about this specific issue, there's only a few verses in this chapter, it's going to be in our minds to be like, well, that was then and this is now. No, 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 no. Nothing is new under the sun. 
And the same biblical truths applied in that town as apply in our town, in our culture, and in our church as well. Well, let's begin with the word of prayer. We're going to jump into the text, and we're going to see what I'm talking about. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that it never changes, and it reveals the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Help us right the ship, Father, even if in our own minds, in our own hearts, as Christians and in the church, Lord, that we would live biblically-based lives, based on your foundational truths, Lord, and help us. Help us to be spiritually inoculated that when the whole world is applauding, we see the truth, Lord. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that is, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Mike Russo was right. He loves it when I say that. Yeah, yeah. In front of everybody, too. I usually keep that private. Usually pray for, pray for my throat that it sticks out, that it uh, makes it all the way through. All right, so what is happening here? There's two possible interpretations of this. One is extreme. Uh, both of them are bad. So in this church, there is a, a man and his son, and either, either it is the son's stepmom or it is his actual mother. But he is lying with her. So they, they, the mom and the dad must be divorced, the stepmom or dad, but the son is now with her. From the text, we can see that she is not a believer, and she probably doesn't even go to the church. She's probably a Gentile. Maybe she's a follower of Aphrodite or the Roman version. We really don't even know. It, it doesn't seem likely, though, because Paul says this kind of sin is not even known among the Gentiles. What he's saying is, this is so wrong, it's wrong even to the world. And yet you guys are allowing this in the church. And we thought that church was only for like Puritans, right? Now we're going to talk about Puritans in a little bit. But that's what I meant in our introduction, that in our mind, we, we kind of segregate things like the church and in the world. And we say the church is where all the good people are, and in the world where all the crazy people are. And then... We don't really see, like the title of this message, it's all messy. Everything just is all messy together. And it, it, it's not as crystal clear as that. And because you're looking at your family like, I can't believe they sneak, us in, they sneak us into church around all these Christians. I can't believe that they, if they knew our problems, they wouldn't even let us be here. But it's like, no, no, that's, that's not how it works. There's just a bunch of filthy sinners here, just a bunch of fallen people. And if you're a believer, God has filled you with his spirit, he's redeemed you, and he's made you new. <clears throat> but what we're going to see is 
there's this process of sanctification that's messy. Well, we hope there's a process of sanctification because what Paul is calling out here is they are puffed up. They're prideful about this. They're saying, we have so much grace, we allow even this. Well, isn't that what we're seeing in America today? Every day, it seems, on the major news networks, here's a church that has uh, a non-binary individual as a bishop of this denomination. That one just came out recently. Oh, this, this church here is uh, this historical Methodist or Presbyterian church is now allowing gay marriages. I mean, the debate used to be about women teachers. Now, the world's trying to make it about even knowing what your gender is. And Paul's saying here, absolutely not. And in the strongest language, he says, deliver them unto Satan. Kick them out. Get rid. No. Absolutely not. This, this word here, when it says sexual immorality among you, is the Greek word porneia. Well, I wonder what words come from that in the English language. It, it could mean all kinds of illicit behavior. If you want to be calling out the emperor's new clothes in our culture, that is literally having parades and boasting and things that were in this culture a sin and were illegal for centuries in this nation. You just sit there like that young boy calling it out. You just look in your Bible and you look at the culture and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It doesn't matter that the whole culture is applauding the parade. This is wrong. This is wrong. Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood, you don't see the connection why they would usurp the rainbow now you'll hear silly things like well don't hate the sinner hate the sin that is correct but not to its extreme we're going to talk about that a little bit and then most importantly you got to stay through the whole sermon because i know some of you are just going to want to check out at the very end we're going to talk about the difference between in the church and outside of the church in the body of christ and outside the body of christ and why all these things are important. I told you, there's going to be a lot of doctrines that we're going to cover today. First and foremost, we're here. We are seeing a confrontation of sin. In the church, there is to be church discipline. It is the most uncomfortable, difficult thing that the pastor can do, or the elders, or anyone. Confronting someone on sin. But it is important. Remember last week? We looked at the reference of Matthew 18. Jesus told us to do this. Let's look at it again in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And he, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now notice, I'm hinting already, there's a difference between how you treat the heathen and tax collector and how you treat a brother or sister in Christ. Church discipline, it needs discipline. Like you have to do the discipline part. Now, this is tough because especially as a freedom-loving American, I don't want other people telling me how to live my life. 
you leave me alone, don't tell me what to do. I say things like, now this is Mike Burford speaking, this is not the Bible. What makes great neighbors? Great fences. That's what I say. <laughs> That's not what Jesus. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. No, 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 Lord, they want to be left alone, believe me. We don't want to be confronted on things, especially when the other person is wrong and I am right. <laughs> but it's because we judge everybody else by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. We want to live free in Christ, but we also want to live holy. We want to have real relationships with God. We want to have a real relationship with the Lord. We want to do things His way. We just want to do it when we want to do it. That's the problem. And so... When we think about church discipline, maybe it's just me. But again, I grew up in a West Coast California public school. So I was 100% indoctrinated. And so when I heard about the Puritans, I was told two things. Number one, we were forced to read the Scarlet Letter. Why? Of all the books on the planet, why are we forcing our kids to read that one? Hmm. Interesting, almost like there's an agenda. I'm going to leave that one there. You can research that one on your own. Second, I learned that the Puritans killed all the Indians. No, no motive. They just came in and wi genocidal wiped them out. And if it wasn't for the Native Americans, we wouldn't have had Thanksgiving. They all would have starved to death. Why are the Puritans so evil? Why, why was I being indoctrinated with this? Now, if you're an immigrant, you're like, Puritan who's? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, the... the Founders of America in the 1600s escaped religious persecution in Europe and came, risked their lives to cross the world. Might as well be making a trip to Mars today so that they could worship the Lord and grow in the Bible the way that they wanted to do church, the way that they wanted to seek Him, and have the Bible as the foundation for their entire way of life. You could see why radical leftists would have a problem with Americans identifying with that. That they were willing to leave all economic comfort. They were willing, all they had to do was conform to their country. All they had to do was conform to the Anglican church, conform to the culture that they were with, and they would have been left alone, happy, making money, uh, making kids, having families. But they said that following God on biblical principles was more important than any human comfort. Interesting that it's such, a, it's such a foundational truth of our culture of America that we have to have propaganda against it. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but why did I get down this rabbit hole? Because we have been taught that the church coming in your life might as well be like an enemy army enslaving you. That is not what church discipline is. Church discipline is being involved in the messiness of each other's lives. It is humbling yourself under biblical discipline, instruction, encouragement. You see, because when we think about discipline, we have also a lot of propaganda in our life to get away from. Some believe that church discipline needs to be like a military drill sergeant. That DI, knife handing you, screaming in your face, just wrecking your whole uh, life, tossing every little nook and cranny. No, 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 no. Others, though, 
on the other extreme, the absolute grace, oh, anything, just as long as your butt is in the seat at church, everything's hunky-dory, whatever you want to do in life, just come on. God loves you no matter what. Both sides are abuse. And when we hear church discipline, alarm bells ring. We think cult. We think uh, abuse. We think people being involved in your life. No. No. We got to crumple all that up, all that baggage, and we got to get rid of it. We say, what does the Bible say about this? Because there are many believers today... They, they don't understand why churches staying open in COVID was such a big deal. On re, I'm not making a political statement one way or another, but I want us to see biblically why this discussion is vital for Christians, followers of Christ, because there are many people today, they are not in church. They are not having any church. Dis- There's no one in their life getting involved in the messiness saying, hey, you know what? I think you're coming off the rails. Hey, you know what? You're doing a really good job, but you should maybe you know, tweak this. Hey, that thing that you're involved with, you should probably get rid of that. And they're removing themselves from the church. Now, we have online services. I highly encourage it. There's a lot of people. The only reason you're in here right now is because you had to make sure we're not a crazy cult. So you watch us online first. Great. That's what it's for. When you're sick, stay home and watch it. <coughs> you have a health issue. You can't come in here very easily. No problem. That's what it's there for. It's not for you to sit on your living room couch week after week after week after week listening to a sermon, hitting that frequent buyer stamp card, and, and thinking that you're good. No, that, listening to sermons is only a portion of your walk with the Lord. You have to be able to receive correction and reproof. Only there was a Bible verse about this. There is. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Don't be that guy or gal. But exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Well, the day is approaching. The Lord's return is coming. Things are getting worse and worse. And we see here that another level of church discipline is exhorting. That's encouraging one another, coaching one another. And when you withdraw from that, that is not good. Why do I have to build another foundation? Mike, you're on rabbit holes. I'm telling you, it's like rope. They all intertwine together. Because some people believe that one of the uh, most difficult and toughest portions of church discipline is actually a blessing. What? Some people are living their Christian walk as if this portion of church discipline that should be terrifying is actually a blessing. What is that? That's being removed from the body of Christ. When we confront sin, we're supposed to be encouraging loving one another, encouraging one another. We want each other to do better. We don't want to tear people down. We want them to be conforming them uh, to biblical standards, growing in biblical truth. We want to be able to call each other out. Only someone that truly loves you know when you need to be encouraged and when you need to get you know, kicked. Because when you're encouraging someone in the wrong moment, that's abuse. When you're kicking someone in the wrong moment, that's abuse. So how do you know? I'm going to tell you a secret. None of us knows, aside from the Holy Spirit in this book. If you have kids here, when should you encourage them and when should you 
will never abuse them. I see, I almost caught you. But discipline them. Why is it that with some kids, it doesn't matter how many times you whoop them and whatever the size of the rod is, it doesn't seem to work. But with other kids, you barely raise your voice and they melt into a puddle. How would you know which one to use on which child? Only the parent. Only one that truly loves that one can know that. How do you know what you need? Only the people in around you that actually love you and care about you will know. Those that are close to me, they know. Encouragement makes me uncomfortable. They know when I need it, even when I don't like it. But I, I would much rather be ridiculed to success. With other people, that would morally destroy them. I mean, they wouldn't be able to get up out of bed. You got to know the person. Paul just spent time in the previous chapter. What did he say before this one? Father in the faith. My heart is for you more than others. And then immediately after he said that, closing the last chapter, he's saying, listen, we got to deal with this problem right now. You guys are puffed up. You're encouraging it. You need to confront this. Now, he also tells it to the Thessalonians. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Huh. Huh. In a lot of conversations I'll have with families when we talk about church discipline, or we talk about confrontation, especially with prodigal children, especially with prodigal children, there is a line. Nobody knows where. Maybe you do with your child. Only the Lord knows. When you no longer treat your child, especially if they're an adult that they've moved on, <clears throat> Not in your own household. In your own household, they live by biblical values that you establish. End of story. They're under your household. But prodigal children that have left, there is a, a time and a line that needs to be drawn when you no longer treat them like a believer in the church. You treat them like a non-believer. That's a completely different standard. This is going to be important as we continue here. I, I'm just baiting you. It's going to come. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But we do not give biblical standards to non-believers. But in the church, in the church, to be a part of a Christian walk, you need to be able to have messy conversations. You need to have somebody, every human being, believer or non-believer, but especially believers, needs to have somebody in their life that is going to look them in the eye and say, Mike, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Don't do that. Every person needs that person in their life. Unfortunately, we began to withdraw. And now the church in Corinth is doing what the church in America, by and large, of course, there are faithful remnant everywhere, and there's a great many of them. But by and large, what are they doing with this issue? Let's read verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Your glorying is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you, are truly, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What's he talking about? They're glorying in their grace. How many churches do we know of, especially the super popular ones that are being 
uh, puffed up and attacked all at the same time. <clears throat> they're known for getting people in. They're, they're known for evangelism, but what are they not doing? Ask them a doctrinal question and watch them squirm around. They will say anything except having a position on any kind of doctrine. They're all, oh, yeah, Jesus loves you. Jesus, God loves everybody. Believe in him. I mean, they won't even talk about sin. They won't talk about redemption. They won't talk about transformation. Uh, they, they're just all this other stuff. Well, the Corinthians were kind of like that. We know they had a lot of spiritual gifts, at least the abuse of spiritual gifts. They lacked discipline. They lacked um, conversations. They lacked confrontation. They gloried in these things. And Paul's calling them out now. Why are you glorying in this? And this is going to lead us to this even more fundamental conversation, which is why. Why do we have people in our life to confront us? Why do we need to be growing in this area? Why do we deal with this messiness? Maybe they're right. Maybe we should just love everybody and just not say that the emperor's not wearing any clothes. Maybe we should just be quiet on the sideline and say, well, they'll figure it out when they figure it out. What is this whole process? Remember I spoke to you about the Puritans? You know, we had to talk about all the propaganda that's attacking them. Why are they attacked so strongly? Because when you begin to read their actual doctrines, when you get to read their sermons, when you get to read, you find out that these were very intelligent, spiritually, biblically foundational individuals. Let's look at a one question and answer in a Puritan catechism. What is sanctification? Good question. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin. I missed, I missed, I was writing it in there. I should have copied and pasted. And live unto righteousness. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35. This is to be accepted into the church. You've got to know this. Many believers today do not understand what sanctification is. Righteousness is given to you the moment that you believe that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the book of Acts, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're sealed, you're 100% righteous, you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That means that at any point after that, if you die, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, sinless through Christ. The problem is the Bible tells us that he who says he has no sin makes God a liar. God is not a liar. Therefore, we are all sinners still. So how can we be 100% righteous and still be sinners? Well, we have this process of sanctification on this world, which is what Paul talks about in the book of Romans over and over again, the wrestling between the flesh and the spirit. Are you guys tracking? This is a lot. Remember, not to belittle you, this is basic entrance into the Puritan church. Like, you should know this by now. He's got a bad pastor, I guess. We'll try. We'll keep going. So what this means is we still have a, a process here on earth where the Lord is continually changing us. That means that we need to repent continually. Here's another foundational truth that many people are struggling. We have many sorry Christians. They are sorry for the sins they do. When I mentioned the word pornea, they cringed in their heart, and they're sorry adulterous relationships. Jesus said to even look at a woman to lust after her or a man for the ladies is to commit adultery. 
we are sexually tempted by our culture because everyone else is doing it. I remember as a child, 13, 14 years old, my first experience was through magazines. You had to find the magazines. And then when you found them, you, you, know, you and your buddies were kind of hiding them. Today, it's piped into every tablet, every cell phone, every television set, every magazine rack. It's been constantly bombarding our kids. They're growing up in a more sexualized culture than has ever existed in the United States, with more access to it than ever. And, and we're still living like it's 1950. Well, we just don't talk about it. Let, let, let's just, we'll just, we'll figure it out. Now, somebody's got to sit there with the Bible and say, wait a minute, the emperor's got no clothes. The king's wearing no clothes here. We have, we have a culture that has professors and senators and representatives and governors and teachers that are trying to tell our children at three years old they don't know what gender they are. They don't know anything other than what we tell them. And we need to be able, as the church, to say, nope. The problem is that we as Christians don't know how to repent, that we have this sanctification, that yes, this is a messy process. Church discipline is messy. Sanctification is messy. We're messy. The world is messy. But in our minds, we've been taught the church is where the holy people are and the world is where the regular people are at. And we wonder why the Christians are always gravitating towards the world. Well, number one, it's our sin, our fallen nature. Even Paul the Apostle said, that which I will to do, that I do not. That which I will not to do, that I do. Now, Paul's addressing the Corinthian church here and saying, listen, you've got this situation going on and you're glorifying in it? Stop it. Cut it out. Too many Christians are living a sorrowful Christian walk. They're just always sorry always begging for forgiveness, and they don't understand that God has given them the power to repent. To repent means to understand you did wrong and to turn away from it. You have the authority of Jesus Christ. You have the power over sin, death, and the devil. <clears throat> we know scripturally that you can resist Satan in Jesus' name. If you resist Satan in Jesus' name, he will flee from you. You have power over sin. But it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah, I just told you it's messy. I didn't say it was easy. I just said you do have power. You can repent. There are people here in this building that are struggling with alcoholism. And you're hiding it from everyone. And nobody knows except that people do. And you're just living a sorrowful life. You're just sorry all the time. Well, stop it. Stop it. Well, it's not that easy. Pornography, food, finances, electrical devices, I mean, all kinds of vices. But are we trying to live like the Corinthians, prideful in our quote-unquote grace? How, can I raise my children this way? Oh, yeah, kids, just do what you want. Raid the fridge. Come in and out of the house as you please. Wear whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Don't go to school. Go to school, whatever. Is that love or is that abuse? That's abuse. Now, if I go to the other extreme, you, can't, you have to get up exactly at 4.15 every morning. You will scrub your bathroom at 4.30 every morning. Some dads are like, yeah, let's do it. No, that's abuse too. Beat them for every little infraction. No, that's abuse. It's in the middle. How do we know? Love. God has to show us these things. That there's certain times for grace. There's certain times for discipline. But the church 
should be a light to the whole world on how this is done. Instead, we're just happy you're here, and we just pat you on the back when you're just crying and sorry for all your sins and vices. Absolutely not. Christ didn't just die for your salvation. He's also a part of your sanctification. Stop it and repent. We should, as Christians, we should be, have lives of repentance, not lives of self-pity. You will struggle. There will be difficulty. You will fall. When you think you're doing well, you'll be kneecapped. But you'll have brothers and sisters there to pick you up. That's why you need to be a part of the body of Christ. Or you could be like me when I'm working out, and you need someone to come kick you in the shins to keep going where you don't want to go no more. Only your brothers and sisters in the Lord are going to be able to know which one it is. That's why we need it. We need to have a wake-up call. We need the word of God that comes out and says, the king's not wearing any clothes to wake up this world. But we do it in love, not in judgment. How dare we as Christians criticize the non-believer and then not have sanctification within the church itself? More on that later. For us, basic Christian principle, Romans 6, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Yes, we are forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future, but we do not use this as a license to harm ourselves or to harm others. When it comes to the body of Christ, we don't really think about that too much. We think about ourselves. It's, it's fun for me to encourage people, especially people that come to church and like, well, I don't want to go to church because everyone's going to, they're all going to criticize me and they're all going to be looking at me. It's so fun for me to tell them the truth. Listen, brother, sister, everybody in the church is so busy thinking about themselves, they don't have time to think about you. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> it's just how the enemy just gets in there, our flesh. Well, we do think about each, ourselves too much. Listen, the, the reason that you're hiding this secret sin, the reason why you're not dealing with it, is because you don't think it affects everyone. But because you're not having victory in this area, because you're not being confronted on this area, the body of Christ is weaker for it. We've all been given spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit. I guess I'll just list every chapter I know in the Bible until we find the right one. But in Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruits of the Spirit. We've all been given them. And if you are living a defeated, pitiful, sorrowful Christian life, you're not exercising those gifts. You're holding out on me. Stop robbing me. We're missing your prayers. We're missing your encouragement. We're missing your victories. That's why I can't work out by myself. I tried it. Go like once a week. You got a couple of guys sitting there waiting for you? Oh, I can't believe I'm getting up right now. I just I can't let them down, though. That's why it's so important in the body of Christ we're doing the same. How messed up is it that the enemy has us thinking that the worst possible outcome is a, is a blessing to stay home and not be in the body of Christ anymore? Wow, it's almost like there's a demonic attack against the church and against you and against the Word of God. But His Word will not return void. It cannot be defeated. cannot lie. We're on the right side. We win. 
When I say a victorious Christian life, that doesn't mean a health, wealth, prosperity, anything we say, anything we pray for, we're going to get it. No, I'm promising you struggle, heartache, messy relationships, people that are going to criticize you at the wrong time, people are going to encourage you at the wrong time, people are going to prophesy over you and tell you dumb things that aren't from the Lord. And you're going to have to decide for yourself, am I going to encourage this brother or sister, or am I going to have to say something very difficult right now? Instead of just, well, that's just not from the Lord. I'm going to keep that to myself and not say anything. If you're going to play in a messy playground, you're going to get messy. Life is messy. Church is messy. I'm so grateful that the Lord is the one that cleanses us. He changes us. He uses us. He gives us this grace. We are to live lives that are transforming, not conforming to the world. Transforming to Christ, not conforming to this world. I dare say the church is conforming more to this world than ever before. And even by the world standards 20 years ago, the place is going off the rails. And we're just kind of like, I, I guess, I, uh, all right. I mean, I, I love America. I mean, I guess every, we should have freedom to do things. I guess we should just have more freedom. No. No. How does that bless my brother, my neighbor, who's struggling with alcoholism? Oh, let's just make cocaine legal. How is that going to be a blessing to our fellow citizens? Oh, okay. We'll just, I don't know, get rid of all police officers. That, that's great because we don't want police officers to abuse people. Of course we don't. I also don't want my neighbor's house to be robbed. Usually when there's a policeman there, people are less likely to do that. And what's crazy is what I'm saying right now, I I, I had to think twice, like, do you really want to say this from the pulpit? And I had to remember that kid at the parade. Hey, the king's got no clothes on. This culture's got no clothes. What are they doing? No, we are to be transformed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, not conformed to this world. Don't take my word for it. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, holy. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Holiness, sanctification, purity. It means being set apart, set apart for God, being dedicated to God. Now, sometimes the church acts like sin is like kryptonite. Like if you even hear an F word, then oh my gosh, you're going to die. You're going to shrivel up. Like, nah. But that being said, I'm not going to let any foul language come out of my mouth. On the other side, though, we act like none of it affects us ever. And we just, uh, we just put ourselves 100% in the world, and then we wonder why, hey, I wonder why I'm starting to act like the world a lot more. I, I don't know. The old cable was drifting. I couldn't handle it anymore. I tried to hold out. How do we know when to be in the world and not of it? When do we know to separate ourselves? When do we know what to allow on TV in our house or even to allow TV at all? When, when do we know liberty or discipline with our children? When do we know liberty or discipline in the church? Love. Later in this chapter or in this book, when we get to chapter 13, 
It's all going to wrapped up together. We have to actually care about each other. We have to actually love each other. We need to actually put in some effort to this. And we need to fall after the Lord. Now let's read the last few verses of this chapter. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what, I have to, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And this is when it all wraps up. We don't treat the outside world like the church. You know, America used to be a Christian nation. We are not anymore. That is a fact. And we can mourn it as much as we want. But the church needs to be a Christian nation. The church needs to be Christian. And we need to hold each other accountable to the biblical standards. And Paul's saying, when I said in his earlier, with the real 1 Corinthians that we don't have, that's the verse when he said, I wrote to you in my epistle. It's a reference to another letter that we don't have. He's saying, when I said don't keep company with this, I didn't mean you can't work with people in the world, otherwise you couldn't even live on this planet. That's what he's saying here. He's saying when you go into the world, you're going to be in the world, not of it. You're not going to be named a part of it. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We give grace. Anyone is welcome in this church to come and hear the Word of God. If you're a, a drug addict, if you have gender dysphoria, if you are of a different sexual orientation for, for now, when, if you are a, a liberal, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyone is welcome here. Anyone. But you cannot be a part of the church and glory in those things. You, I guess you can be a liberal and be in the church. I mean, the Lord says so. I'm just kidding. If you don't know I'm joking, come on up. I will pray for you. What it's, what, there's a different standard. I mentioned earlier about the prodigal child. This is very difficult. It hurts a lot of people. You raised your child as a Christian, and now they have a complete, they've, gone all, they've gone a completely different direction. You are now to treat them as a non-believer. Because you want to be like, I, I, I don't want to encourage this. They knew better. No, no, stop that. Stop that. Grace, encouragement, share the truth of God. Don't compromise with the word. But you need to build the relationship, just like we do in the world. Rebuild that. Because there's a huge tension there, because we want to treat them like Christians, like they're in the church. We want to discipline them. We want to use church discipline. We want to use the Word of God. We want to confront them. Well, Mike, how do I do that? Ask them. They're, they're adults now. Listen. Grace, Chris, Stephen, whoever it is. I'm having a hard time right now. This relationship is important to me. I've given my whole life trying to raise you. And I want to do the what's right. But, I just asked him, do you want our conversations to be based on a biblical standard or not? And if they say no, then you know. 
Now, there's always going to be an exception to the rule somewhere. I'm, I'm sure you're going to find it. But you need to start treating them like a non-believer. Now, this is important for us in this society. And remember, I started the whole sermon by saying Corinth was given over to Aphrodite and all these false gods and all these Gentiles. This is the same type of culture we're dealing with right now. I'm not going to go up to a homosexual person and say, you know, no homosexuals can be entered into the kingdom of God. Listen, y'all, before you trip up, no sinner can enter into the kingdom of God, any sin, without Christ. You must confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only unforgivable sin, is not accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Invite them to church. Talk to them about the Lord. Tell them, God, yes, God does love you. He does want you into the family. But they are a non-believer. They're not to be held to the same biblical standards. They need to know the Savior and be saved first. The non-believer cannot seek after the things of God. No one seeks after God. No, not one. And then you want to confront them? Listen, I don't, I don't do CrossFit. Nope, no thank you. But then you have some CrossFitter come tell you, you know, oh, well, you need to do like 300 sets of that. No, thank you. No, that's your thing. Or, or let's put another analogy. A Muslim's not going to come to me and be like, why aren't you praying five times a day? What's wrong with you? That's your standard. No, no, that's, that's not for me. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, how much more with the true and living with the word of God? It's like, well, you need to go to church. Why? Why? They're not seeking after God. They don't want God. So we need to bring the gospel to them. We need to bring the truth to God. They need to know. They need to understand. If you go to a homosexual person and start talking to them on biblical reasons why homosexuality is a sin, they are ready for a fight. They got, they're trained on it. They are equipped on it. They got the boxing gloves up. They're ready to go. They're just like, bring it. This is what I live for. When you talk to them about emptiness, what is the purpose for life? Why were you created? Were they even created? They're not ready for that fight. Because that is something every human being struggles with. They are just a sinner who is struggling to find their way back to God, like every single one of us was. So Christian, when you have somebody that's struggling with transgenderism, don't go after that yet. Are you happy with yourself? Do you have peace with God? Do you know where you're going to go when you die? Those are the real questions. All that other stuff, that'll come later. Wait till you join the CrossFit gym. Then you'll be like, hey, okay, so about those 300 sets, how do we do that? Those are fun conversations. No, I'm not. If you're CrossFit and you come up here, shame on you. Stop it. <laughs> Jesus tells us, though, to start with ourselves. Start with yourself, Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you not be judged. Wait a minute, there's a contradiction? We'll talk about that. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I hope so. Verse 3, And why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Notice that Jesus doesn't exclude there's a time to go and get the speck out of your brother's eye. But you need to deal with yourself first. The 
he's speaking about hypocrisy. The world is like a hypocrisy bloodhound, aren't they? You, you got pastors out there, they're confronting homosexuals. They're on the, we want to ban it, we want to make it illegal, and they're on the, what, you know, the, the Senate steps, they're in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and then what do they find out like two weeks later? Caught in adultery with a male prostitute. Literally on the news, you can Google search it, you'll find it. And there it is, Fox News. You know, every single media has it out there. Bloodhounds for hypocrisy. Well, the secret is don't be a hypocrite. We need to have sanctification processes in place where we're slowly growing into the image. None of us has made it. None of us has figured this out. And the whole world is against us. And yet we're trying to conform to the world. The church is looking more and more like the world to win the world. Ah, no way. Listen, it's only going to get worse. The amillennialists and the postmillennialists are wrong. They believe there's no rapture, there's no tribulation, the church is going to make everything better until the Lord comes. That's not what the book says. That's not what I'm seeing with my own two eyes. So why is the church constantly trying to impress the world? The only person we want to impress is Jesus Christ himself. And if you need a scripture to reference it, which you always should, you Bereans, you, in John 15, 19, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's no fine lines in our families, in the church. There's only God's grace. But God's grace should lead us into closer, deeper relationships with Him and with each other, with our family members, with our neighbors. And at the same time, we should be growing in the sanctification we should be having less and less sin in our lives, but never thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Never thinking that we're better than anyone else. The only good thing in us is Jesus himself. We need to be able to have tough conversations. And we are definitely not called to live sorrowful, pitiful, non-repentant lives, but to be victorious in Christ alone. To him be the glory. And this journey, this ride, is a ride that we take together. No one takes this ride alone in the body of Christ. So dig in and be, be wary because when you're out there in love saying crazy things like there's only two genders, the world's going to hate you. But it's true. That's what the book says, and the book doesn't lie. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for just being a light in a dark place. You show us from Scripture, Lord, that the truth is usually in the minority, historically speaking. And that's so strange for us here. But as we see everything you predicted in Scripture coming forth in front of our eyes, I pray that you would help us by filling us with your spirit, filling us with truth, helping us to love more. But a real love with discipline and with with truth and grace, Lord, encouragement and exhortation. But we can't do these things unless we're led by your spirit and by your word. So I pray that you continue to encourage us all in Jesus', in Jesus name. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'll pray with you, share with you, got some things for you. If you need prayer or you need encouragement,